and welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of some incredible women in science and technology. Not only will you get insights into some fascinating innovations, but you may also even relate to their stories, especially if you're a little unconventional or non-conforming. As with all science and technology, what these women do for a living has a real impact on all of our lives, and we often don't realise it. But here on Innovation, I'm also giving women a platform for them to be heard and for us to be inspired and uplifted by what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to Nikita Hari, an electrical and electronics engineer. I'm Dr. Nikita Hari. I'm an electrical and electronics engineer and I aspire to inspire youngsters to engineer a better world and I'm currently working on designing an inclusive, innovative and transformational engineering learning model for or to develop well-rounded engineers. I think we're very aligned in what we're trying to achieve having um, done engineering and now in the work that we're doing. Um, how are you trying to change the public perception of engineering? I'm very passionate about engineering and at some point um, in your life you realize, uh, you look around and you see all these uh, barriers, challenges, not just for women and minorities, it's uh, also in general, globally, there is this really wrong understanding of engineer as someone who just fixes things and uh, moving forward being such a you know, our society being very complicated and complex I um, thought it is important for me as an engineer to to help change that perception and uh, from doing outreach um, with schools, talking to students of all uh, ranges, uh, be it you know, from primary to secondary and moving on to university students, I interact with at least thousands of, of, of students every year uh, to try and get them to understand what real engineering is to by drawing them into my journey and the journeys of engineers across the globe. So, uh, getting that millions of possibilities of engineering to the general public, starting from the, or sowing the seeds of those thoughts in the young minds, I think is the way to move forward. Having said that, to, to change anything, it is very important that you are able to make that impact uh, on society through policy and so on and so forth. So, I try and um, I am, I work with Royal Academy of Engineering. I'm a Kuhn Elizabeth Prize in Engineering Ambassador and Council Member and Research and Innovation Chair and so on and so forth. So I try and get um, talk and network and connect and with people um, where I feel like I can make an impact. Tell me about your engineering journey then. Like how did it begin? I think um, my engineering journey began as a, as a kid. I've always loved uh, playing and making stuff and so on and so forth. Also, 
it was very uh, organic in a sense that I would say I was a, 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 as a kid in love with physics and maths and making stuff and being in an electrical engineering business household. Uh, engineering came very natural to me when I had to decide what I wanted to pursue as a profession, as a, as a degree. And um, yeah, I decided to take up my four year of undergraduate degree in engineering. And because of that reason in electrical and electronics engineering, but during the course of my uh, studies, I thought I, again, because you know, I'm in an industrial household, I thought I wanted to do a management degree. And so you no know, engineering plus management and get into the family, um, entrepreneurial um, pursuit and so on and so forth. But then I realized that I, at that point, I realized I did not have much aptitude for it when I was in my father's company, for example. I, it did not strike me as to, it did not come naturally to me as to what to change there to make things better and so on and so forth. So I, um, along with my uh, other people or mentors who advised me because I was an academically inclined kid, right? I was always on top of the class and so on and so forth. Everyone said, why don't you just continue with your studies? Because that seems like your thing. So I went and uh, did a two years of master's specializing in power electronics. And it was during that time, during that second year of my master's that I realized I had a, an aptitude for research. And I've always loved teaching, right? I am that kid who came back from school and who would teach the teddy bears and who would want to correct some of the things that, yeah, as in like correct the style or delivery that suits me. Um, thinking of back about how the teacher did it, but I never wanted to pursue it as a career back then. Now, after my master's, I, or during my master's, I actually started formally teaching as doing guest lecturing and so on and so forth. And by the time I finished my master's, I joined um, as, as a lecturer at the National Institute of Technology, India, preparing uh, parallelly for my PhD admissions. And I got, you know, I applied, I got into Cambridge and even while I was at Cambridge, I was teaching and so on and so forth. But it was during Cambridge times, uh, I realized that I had a, I loved being in an entrepreneurial space. So that aptitude came or I realized, or let's say the entrepreneurial spirit in me got kindled while I was at Cambridge. I went on to start two educational tech startups and so on and so forth, because I realized I loved being with people, having the same vision, but sharing complementary, sharing that vision, but having complementary skill sets and so on. And it was also during that um, time frame at the University of Cambridge that I started to realize how passionate I was about engineering and the need to make people understand the importance of engineering. And I started um, using the opportunities around me to build an inclusive and let's say attractive uh, landscape for engineering. And as I moved on, I realized I was developing an intersectional um, expertise and experience, bringing this 
fields of engineering, entrepreneurship, and research together. And while I was finishing my PhD, I applied for my fellowships and I wanted a fellowship which gave me the freedom to do not just research or and entrepreneurship, but also outreach and public engagement and so on and so forth. So I move on to University of Oxford for my uh, Faculty for Future Fellowship. And it was during that time I came across uh, the Institute, the Dyson Institute, and I realized it would probably be the perfect opportunity to bring together my intersectional interest, inter and multidisciplinary interest. And it also did, like goes back to that kid. When I said I was interested in maths and physics, I was also someone who was a topper for um, social sciences, right? But I never knew how to bring my interest for understanding history and appreciation for it in and physics together. But it's like life coming full circle wherein I organically uh, started integrating myself into the world of policy and into the world of sustainability and, and so on and so forth. So now I, I sit in that intersectional and interdisciplinary space wherein I bring together the educational, the enterprise, the research and innovation, all within the um, arena of outreach and public engagement. So I see your career as a kind of Venn diagram where there's the engineering and then there's the educational side. Um, can you tell me more about the engineering? Like if I was to have been a fly on the wall during your engineering days, like what would you have been doing? Yeah, so as an engineer, so I started off as a research and development engineer looking into the electrical or electronics bits of how things work before I started um, in my master's journey and uh, got more into formal research and so on and so forth. So as, as an engineer, I would be, it depends on, on a particular day sitting as, as the, let's say a year back or so as a, as a director of, of uh, research and development, I would look into uh, what's going on with the product, what, what changes should be made, um, and so on and so forth. Or just to, just to put it in a bit more uh, umbrella term, it's, it's when you start off as an engineer, you are very hands-on, you are doing stuff, you are trying to make and build and break. I think it is always make, build, break, and make back better. Um, so it's always about whatever be the field uh, of engineering I, I was in or whatever different landscapes I move around, I think as an engineer, I bring that skill of trying to define a problem and solve it, a complex problem. So that's what I do on a daily basis. Like there are problems in the world, there are problems uh, that need solving, uh, but the first and foremost thing of for an engineer uh, and my skill set is essentially in defining it, finding uh, different ways of trying to solve it, putting that into a proper structure, understanding the implications of it and solving it. And in my case, since I'm an electrical and electronics engineer, the problems are always uh, based on how best uh, to, to get 
better power out of your phones, out of your laptops, or in very simple words, we all think of electricity as something that's coming out of the wall outlets and powering any of our electrical or electronic device. So as an engineer, I sit and make and break and blow up and build back to make this world run on better power. What exactly in engineering were you doing? When our phones or laptops work, if you touch them, you feel the heat, right? It becomes hot. Now that's because the electricity is being, or a percentage, a part of electricity is being lost as heat. We talk about energy usage, the spiraling energy demands and so on and so forth, and always about different sources of energy and producing more and more energy every single day. But just think about it. We have so many devices around us in our homes and so on and so forth. And we lose almost an, on an average 10% of heat every time we use them. So just imagine each of us using all these uh, devices and in general. So it's not just about the energy lost, it's also about billions of amounts of our taxpayer money, which is getting blown up in the process, right? So there is a need to efficiently convert power. And that is where researchers, scientists, and engineers such as myself can uh, look into finding different ways of doing it. And scientists and researchers found some other materials other than silicon, which could do this. And they, they discovered it, they, they commercialized it, made it and so on and so forth. And as an engineer, what would I do? During my research, I thought this is wonderful material called gallium nitride, like with 100 times superior material properties compared to silicon, right? Now, within all those variables we discussed. See, we are human beings. We are trying to make everything smaller, faster, denser, lighter, let's say. But as a human being, we want everything for cheap, right? We want it to be less expensive um, and we want the best quality. So as an engineer, what, what do you do? That's a very complicated problem and we have to achieve this efficiently, effectively within the sustainability and green energy demands and so on and so forth. So I looked into how can we um, ensure that we can make a power converter meeting all these demands. And so what I did was to look into this gallium nitride abbreviated GAN GAN uh, devices, how can I put that into real systems to make your phones or laptops or anything work, right? So essentially as an engineer, blowing up GANs was a major part of my work, trying to put that into circuits that were made of silicon and trying to compare and contrast and understand the challenges and, and so on and so forth. So once you get a working prototype, what do we think as an engineer for engineers? See, the, the big difference between science and engineering is that engineers want to not just use the science, but use it to make the society better, to 
make a practical, a real life impact for people, millions across the globe. So how can I do that? That is, you have to be able to mass produce this, commercialize it or scale it up. And that is where I hit the, um, another barrier and realize that it is very difficult to commercialize gallium nitride to translate from the laboratory phrase place to the real world was essentially what the crux of my work was. And I decided to use machine learning and artificial intelligence techniques to, to better understand gallium nitride. See, as an engineer, I am not a physicist who needs to know the intricacies of the beautiful electrons and, and, and all that happens inside uh, anything, right? I just need to understand it enough to make it work and work really well. So artificial intelligence was a great uh, tool to enable um, simulating. That means trying to make it work without actually having to build it because it saves time and effort and it gives an understanding of how things will work. And so I introduced that into my uh, gallium nitride based research and I implemented uh, gallium nitride or designed, developed and demonstrated gallium nitride based models using artificial intelligence and uh, so on to so that engineers can have a better control over the process of designing, building, blowing up, uh, understanding, finally building back better. So there is that process of iteration, experimenta experimentation, and finally getting that real life working product. So that is what I do uh, on a daily um, basis in this fascinating world of uh, electrical and electronics engineering. And also parallelly, because I'm an entrepreneur as well, I have built an artificial intelligence based platform um, alongside uh, my brother in the educational tech space. So artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's all about data and having that information about how things have been working and how you can use that information to enable the future, to better understand the future. So creating a platform which will help vulnerable uh, youth be connected to the digital world is also something that I have finally pursued. And that is also bringing my engineering skills, not just the technical skills, but also what people do not realize is that engineering is a profoundly creative endeavor where you not just have to solve a problem, but you need to find, define, and then find creative ways of solving a problem. So most of the times the problem can be solved in a, in a million ways. So I think it is an engineer who brings that ingenuity in solving the problem in the most effective, efficient uh, manner for the betterment of society. AI is such a, I mean, it's so difficult to kind of really grasp how it works. Um, so how does AI work um, in addition to the already complex 
research that you're you've done. So yeah, like I mentioned, right? So how I look at artificial intelligence in a very simple manner is so it is trying to understand or simulate how our brain or our thinking works. So for us, or for me particularly, it was, okay, you have a lot of uh, ways in which the switch was going on and off within the parameters of the electronics world. And if we can understand how a particular switch works in millions of different situations, we capture that data, uh, we store it, we process it to be able to better use it. And then when you have a very different GAN device, because devices or switches can be made in, in hundreds of ways. So you, you capture that data about one device and then you bring in another device, then you are able to Obviously, after you have enough data, you are you can be you can extrapolate how this particular device might work. So this is exactly like uh, imagine you are a kid, right? And you see a cat. Are you growing up? You're just few years old, and you see a cat. And someone obviously would have told you that this is a cat as as a baby. Now, when you grow and when you see other types of cats around you, you still are able to identify that it is a cat because your brain is able to store that identifiable information about your cat somewhere um, within the, uh, the structure of our neural functioning. And that is data. So every single second we are taking in subconsciously millions and trillions of amounts of information and we're storing it in our heads. So I am looking at, at, at Shinny, for example, her features are being stored in my head and that is how her visual impression is stored, right, as, as data. We don't do that consciously, we do that very subconsciously. And what artificial intelligence has been trying to do is to try to emulate and simulate that working in a, in a very technical context. And that's exactly why it is hugely impactful because human brain is one of the, the most uh, complicated and incredible um, missionary, like I would say that is around. And that is why we are unable to fully um, entangle how it works. So within the knowledge of what we or the scientists across the globe knows is how they are trying to define and make artificial intelligence work for humanity. And I think from very small, um, from very uh, small things to hugely or astronomically complicated things, it has the power to to extrapolate. And I think that is where to be able to use that information uh, for understanding, for making stuff better is where artificial intelligence to me is hugely attractive. I was forced to study in an engineering college that was very close to my house or home because my father did not really uh, see the value or meaning in sending uh, 
a female um, to study elsewhere, right? So I just studied in, in a uh, engineering college uh, very close to my home, but it, it, was, it was called the Kuchin University of Science. It was under the Kuchin University of Science and Technology and it was called Cooperative Institute of Technology. It was a government uh, owned um, institute of engineering. And um, it's pretty amazing then that you went from um, these kind of maybe lesser known uh, academic institutions to then end up in Cambridge. I mean, it's quite amazing. Thank you. But I, I, I would personally uh, look at it as it was. Uh, if I had a choice, I would have chosen the best education that I could get, like in in intellectually um, vibrant and challenging and inspiring and motivating places. Um, but it was it was because I did not have a choice. You see, so I was always uh, as a kid, you do not have a choice anyway. And um, while I was growing up, at least you know, ten a decade ago, it was it was a much if your family is conservative and the society is on the borderline of orthodox, just trying to find its voice, uh, slowly coming into the modern uh, or trying to understand the modern um, language of freedom and identity of a female. So I was just in that um, time frame of my life where I did not have that uh, choice then. And by the time I reached or I was out of my college, I did realize that this is not, I knew it, but I did not fight for it until then. And it was only during that time that I really started um, being assertive about where I wanted to study and so on. So I always wanted to study in, in, in um, these kind of institutions. And as you can see, so from, um, Kusat to, to SRM University and then so my exposure will slowly start to increase so from Kerala to Tamil Nadu which was uh, uh, the number one private institute then um, in India and it just opened up my exposure and from there to National Institute of Technology and from there to IIT Delhi actually uh, and so it's, it's a, gradually I will I will try and break open that barriers and from IIT, um, when I was there, it was the faculty there who said to me that you should apply abroad um, uh, because your CV like really stands out. And it is just with that line of motivation that I resigned and came back and started just with Google as my friend, started applying abroad. And I had no knowledge of how to go about doing this um, one year long of procedure to Cambridge or Oxford. And just, just, you know, like really worked hard with, with uh, Google. And also I had to keep it as a secret because if my extended family get to know it would, or this oral, the neighbors or anyone, it would uh, just add to the complexity of being able to uh, actually pursue this. So when I started applying, I just made a list of the top 20 universities I could apply to. And my parents said, America, US was definitely out of the option because PhD would take more years. I've already done four years of bachelor's and two years of master's and so on. 
And so that's the only reason why I um, applied to, to Europe. And I got into Cambridge, Oxford, Edinburgh, Manchester, all with the scholarships. And I even got into Manchester with their uh, dual scholarships of not just the department, but also the university-wide scholarship. And I took up Cambridge, you see, just because, even though my scholarship, the Nehru Cambridge University Scholarship will only be actually half the amount of Manchester. Just beyond uh, engineering and the, the, the fact that it is one of the, the greatest universities in the world, it is also because of who I am and where I come from, right? I was always denied the best. So I wanted uh, to choose the best when I uh, had the option to, when I had the freedom to. Gosh, I mean, um, you must have had to have fought against so much. I mean, you must have had to really fight for what you deserved um, because it's incredible. I mean, when I think of my own parents, they would have turned themselves inside out if I had been accepted into Cambridge. I mean, they, they would be the people that were pushing me to um, apply for those kinds of universities, to think that you had to keep it in secret. I mean, I, I just don't even understand how that could even, how that could have even been a thing. I mean, is, is, it, is it so strong to suppress um, women? Is that, is that what you were fighting? Because, see, that's the thing, right? Like most of the people like, um, um, do not understand because I think when you look at my journey, it seems like, oh, that's, you know, like you had the aptitude, you were in this household, which is a manufacturing uh, household. So everything came, uh, looks like it came very natural and very easy to me. No, it was, I think um, uh, my struggles and barriers were mostly to, to break open um, and overcome the emotional and the hierarchical, the patriarchal and the societal stereotypes and, um, and walls that were built uh, around me, um, that are very strongly built around me. And it was not just me as a person. So if you look, if I look back at my school days and my college days, it was only very recently after uh, the females in my group, after they got married, they, get, they had kids and so on that they, um, have like really ventured into the outside world of education and so on, right? Nobody really uh, during those times came outside um, or traveled to, to pursue a degree, for example, um, of, of all the things. It was, I think there was a lot of resistance, particularly because when you're not married, um, it, it is like, okay, you give the, your kid a good education, and my parents were both um, graduates themselves. They were really like, um, I think outstanding students. So that is, you know, obviously I have to thank my genes. So, so many things comes from there, but it's also that they were people of their times, right? Like we talk about Charles Darwin. Uh, some people are just uh, people of their times. They want to follow um, the societal rules and um, the unsaid, unwritten rules. Uh, and um, so apart from defying convention by getting yourself into Cambridge and Oxford and going abroad and 
how else did you defy convention? Like, because um, I know in Southeast Asian families, you know, there's a real uh, emphasis on getting married, having children, you know, that whole thing. Um, did you follow that as well as pursue your education? No, I didn't actually, because I think maybe because I was I was repressed. <laughs> I, I was always like, you know, had to had to fight um, my way. Um, not so I did not actually some people think, oh, I am trying to be a rebel and trying to make a point by not marrying and so on and so forth. It's not that it's just that I personally uh, have always felt and I think it was a reading that I've helped you know I was someone who was just in a room in a in a house in a very conservative uh, borderline orthodox environment it was reading that actually opened my world uh, um, to to uh, to, the, to to the possibilities of the world uh, to put it in a better way and I've always believed that marriage and um, choosing a life partner and so on and so forth should happen when you want it to happen when you feel like you are, you know, you have someone you can share that journey with. And um, I think you also have to be a bit lucky to be able to come to that decision. But I never wanted that to be uh, something that was forced upon me because I am a female and I have to um, carry that family tradition of, of and um, pass my gene onto the world and, and, and so on and so forth. So those kind of things have never appealed to me personally. Um, and yeah, so not just breaking of breaking or defying conventions to do education and not just uh, masters because everyone in our family had an undergraduate education. So I think doing that masters, doing that PhD and doing a postdoctoral fellowship, I just took that to the zenith of, of what was possible. But also I had broken free uh, and I faved away because I'm the oldest in my entire family. If you look at my father's side and my mother's side. So I broke open and I like carved a path for the, the younger generation to follow. And actually after I did that, no one really got married after their undergraduation, for example. People went on to do a post-graduation, people traveled, people, um, irrespective of their gender. So I think um, when I was making that decision, I never thought in my head, oh, I should be a trailblazer, right? It is, um, you, you don't plan for these things, but in, in looking back, you're like, okay, so the, the, the one decision that you have made actually, I've always seen that as breaking the fabric of my family and my extended family, but it has actually empowered and motivated and inspired the younger generation to do what they think is right and best for them, irrespective of their gender. I really um, am very inspired by, by that. Um, and I really relate because um, I think I've broken a lot of conventions in my own family because there was a huge expectation to get an education but at the same time there was a massive uh, expectation to do what my parents generation wanted which was to settle down and have a family and I've always um, actually really struggled to figure out how those two ambitions can coexist 
I guess my question is, how has it sat with you being a bit of a rebel? Like, how, how do you feel within yourself being unconventional? a very good question and I think that's something I have uh, struggled with um, till very recently let's say because you have taken yourself out of the the realm of, of what's familiar what's emotionally that's the biggest emotional bond that you have had for the first 25 years of one's life and so on and so forth because I was I was there with them and I still am hugely like emotionally connected I am someone who talks to my mom every single day and you know we talk about anything and everything and so on but you I have gone through that phases where I was that very quiet kid who would just lock up in her room trying to figure out oh, how do I escape this right um, so I think that was always there in my head, uh, right? How do I, or uh, to put it positively, how do I make, how do I get things that I really want? Very simple. So I think I was always getting things that others thought was right for me and which I didn't possibly agree. Um, but having said that, I think, you know, I'm also fortunate in, in some ways to be able to get that education, to be able to get the best education within my hometown and so on and so forth. So I've tried to look at the positives of it and uh, moved forward. And, but it was always that expectation of that you, you know, people don't always tell me, because, you know, like I said, I was a topper from my nursery to, to, um, whenever I like, you know, like left education. So I was always in the cream and top and people have always come and asked me, why, why do you have to, why, why do you have to study so hard? Or why do you have to do this? Because you at the end of the day going to be someone's wife and someone's mother. And why does it, you know, why does being the best matter? Because, and, and traditionally that was always these, the stereotype, the, the best student in the class would be a female and then she would end up being in the kitchen, in someone's kitchen and that's it, life over. And I, I have to say that was a big fear in my life that my mother also was, was very academically good. Uh, and even though she had a graduate degree and she wanted to do more in life, she, she didn't and she couldn't. And I think uh, my best thing that I have realized was always from a young age I think is to try and understand from other people's experience so whenever people have said oh you can study even after you marry and so on and so forth I've never taken that into my head and thought oh that's a really positive thing let's try and do that I think I have always I was always a data person I have looked around I've, from my lived uh, and shared experiences I've seen that you have to be really lucky for that to happen. And I did not want to take a, a chance with that because I was more like I, and again, it is dependent on another person, another family, see? So I thought I will not go into that path. But so at every juncture, you, you're, you're trying to reason with yourself of why you want to break open, why you want to break the barriers because you're not just breaking barriers, you're breaking emotional bonds forever sometimes right so you are taking a huge risk of being the loner uh, having to do this alone uh, and so on having to 
embark and carry on a journey where you may or may not be successful uh, in, in your pursuit. So I have, I've tried to reason myself and at every juncture of my life, it has been an emotional battle because mm. most of the times when, when you have lots of barriers, other, other barriers at work and in your profession, you realize you're very alone in that journey just because you are not doing something that everyone else have done and uh, you don't have too many people to relate to. And even when I had my supervisor leave at Cambridge, most people have told me and, and not anything to do with me, but people have told me, yeah, that's because, you know, why do you want to be in this position? Why you had a, you know, you had a good life back you could have married and you could have gone on and that is, this is not life. And I think the biggest struggle I've had is to understand what do I really want from my life? Um, so- And what is the answer to that question? And the answer to that question is that it is okay to not want what everyone else wants. Uh, and it is okay to have different once uh, at different time frames of your life. And it's not that I uh, do not want to have a family. And like you said, being brought up in a conservative, in a very um, like uh, highly orthodox in some, in some cases, kind of environment, I've had to find and, and forge uh, and break open the repressed identity um, to carve a path for myself. But having said that, even though I, I had my education at Cambridge and moving on to Oxford and so on and so forth, my parents have always wanted me to be with someone within the same culture, within all those variables and so on. So you see life moves on. And I've, I've always battled with the fact that, especially when you're in a developed country, you see people getting everything very uh, fast in life, right? Because they, they have the freedom to, to experiment with what they want and they have experiences and they will make decisions probably within the same time frame as I did, but for the first 20 years or odd years of my life, I did not have that choice. So I would say my life was running late compared to, uh, to my peers in, in the modern Western world. So I've also had to always look at other people, okay, you know, they're all settled, they've got their house, their cars, their, their family, their kids, but I've just started out. So I think I'm also emotionally, you know, I'm a human being at the end of the day. So I've also battled with, with where do I stand uh, within that social societal frame? And also as someone who does a lot of outreach and public engagement and in, being in the limelight, I always get this question, or there'll always be some other female who tell me, oh, you've achieved a lot, but you see, I have a kid. And sometimes in those technical conversations, you are being made to feel less uh, successful or less important or less of a woman because you are not a mother. So I would say there are multiple battles that uh, you fight every single day with, with yourself, with your own beliefs, with your own systems and with your own decisions. And I have now come into peace with that because, you know, if you look around the world, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of like tragedy, there's a lot of loss, pain and agony. And I think not being able to uh, find the, my space and voice during a very early period of my life is not a tragedy, right? It is. 
it's not too bad. So I think I look, I put things into perspective and I've acknowledged that I could not have controlled who I was born into or where I was born into. And I, these are things that was totally beyond my control. And I look back and I look at me now. And I think the, even as a kid, I was someone who never liked to be told what to do, but I still always had to follow someone or something. So now just, just having that freedom to be able to do what I want at a time that I want in my own space and in, uh, within, within, in, in, and creating a world for my own, I think, you know, that is my biggest achievement. So having that space and voice, irrespective of my gender and my identity and my economic and social status, um, it's, it's my biggest uh, achievement. And it doesn't matter if people in my age have things that are very different to what I have. And it doesn't matter what others tell me. I think as long as I'm comfortable and happy um, with what I have, from what I was to what I am, I think that's, that's what matters. But I will not uh, lie and say that, oh, you know, this is, this is what, I've always wanted, uh, like, I've always wanted this, but I've, I've wanted other things as well. And I think it is that acknowledgement that there's no perfect family, there's no perfect career, there's no perfect education. You have to find your trade-off, like, as an engineer, I think that's where I think personally, I have been able to bring my profession of engineering into my personal life as well. I, I, I always say, I've engineered my desk, or I am engineering my destiny. But as an engineer, you look at all the variables and you are trying to make the best possible use of resources within the constraints of what's available to you and trying to navigate that journey, right? Trying to engineer my journey within that landscape of technology, teaching, enterprise. And yeah, there are uh, emotional barriers and setbacks and, and so on and so forth. I, and I think she needs you know, these conversations like that, which is hugely important as well, because there are times where you will feel, oh, I am, I'm a loner, I'm alone in this world. Why is this happening to me? You know, why, what did I deserve to, to be like this? And you, and there is also, um, have it all, all phenomenon or have it all trend, right? I have it all. I have a career. I have a family. I have kids. Um, and I think that's, that's hugely uh, with the social media and uh, with the general um, society where it's moving this, that have it all. And I think you have to define what is have it all for you. You have to define what is balance of life for you because, like I said, everyone's background you know you are what your education experience and your environment is my environment is very different from someone who has been in the western world with that freedom and so on and so forth and even someone from india who's in a very different family setup so i think we need to like think like an engineer actually that's what i did i nowadays i think very much like an engineer and i look at all the variables and i think Nikita, is there any way you could have engineered a different life for you? And I, I don't think so. Um, and and that's, that's how I make my peace with it. Oh, my God. I, I just, I completely relate to you, like a thousand percent. Um, it's so good to hear you 
talk to yourself um, about defining yourself um, because I've been through the exact same thing. Um, and I totally understand what you say um, when you're talking about sort of feeling like you're behind other people because, you know, I meet women who are the same age um, and, and have so much more. And I just think, how did that happen? You know, how did I get to this age? And I've never been married and I've never had children. And it's because of all the energy I expended in my earlier years to get to this point. And, you know, it's admirable. When I look back, it's admirable what I have been through to get to where I am today. But people don't look at that. It, you know, it's not taken into consideration. It's very much, you know, the Facebook profile, you know, what you have today, have you ticked all the boxes? And I too have felt uh, less of a woman because I don't have children. And, and I still, you know, I still, uh, you know, there's technology out there where you can freeze your eggs and you can, you know, all this technology that can allow you to have it all. And I've just felt like those kinds of options are not for me because ultimately I want my I want the things in my life to come from a really authentic place of love. Like I wouldn't want to just have a child so I can tick a box. I want to have a child because I'm with the man that I love and we want to start a family. And, you know, so I have all these kinds of um, values. Yeah. And, and what's been really amazing listening to you is that, you sound like you're in that space of accepting yourself for who you are. And I think that is so ultimately what it's about. It's really about loving the skin you're in, owning your journey, having compassion for what you've been through and what you're going to go through, you know, the, the obstacles in your future, what you've learned from the obstacles from your past. And, and it's just really beautiful to see that self-acceptance in somebody. Like you've really inspired me today because um, I think often I am troubled. You know, I've achieved a lot in my life, but I'm often troubled with looking at people and feeling inadequate instead of actually looking at myself and just saying, Shinny, you've done a lot, you know, you should be proud. And if there's one take home message from everything that we've discussed today, it's that it's, you know, and we come from, you know, Asian roots where it's very much about looking inwards, you know, philosophies, um, religions in that those parts of the world are very much about looking in and, and self-reflection. And it's so beautiful to be able to talk to you about this because I, I know that you get it. Um, and I really resonate with everything that you've been saying. So refreshing to, because, you know, we are in a Western world now. And so often the cultures that we're in today don't understand these deep rooted 
ideas and, and, and concepts that we've been raised with, even if we are in the West and going to Oxford and Cambridge and all these impressive things, like, you know, fun fundamentally in our DNA, we're raised with these different values. Um, and, and so I guess final question, because, you know, we've been talking for a long time now and I wish I could talk to you for hours more and I hope we stay in touch actually, because I would love to. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. And thank you so much. I, you know, it just, you are speaking my mind as well, because just, just very quickly about the, the kid thing, right? I, I, there's exactly the same reason for me. I do not want to have a kid just because I am a woman and I, you know, I, if biologically possible, I can have a kid kind of thing. So I want to, if I um, can have a family. And for me, I think it's, it's about that value system. It's about, it's about bonding and it's about, uh, and so many other things, right? Which you've already talked about. So it's, it's really good <laughs> uh, to just, just uh, share that with someone uh, who thinks exactly like. So bringing it back to engineering then, with all of that in mind, that, you know, defining who we want to be and carving out our individual paths, with the work you're doing today, how are you making a difference through engineering? So I think uh, with the work, I'm in, in multiple ways in my. Um, day-to-day -day job of being um, a lecturer in, in, in electronics and the leading innovation and all that, I am trying to transform the way engineering is being taught. I'm trying to help develop um, a learning model which is inclusive, which is interdisciplinary, immersive and integrated so that students of today can be well-rounded engineers of value to society. And with all the other stuff that I do, I think just encapsulating the ethos of being able to inspire youngsters to understand what really engineering is and to be able to use, uh, help them develop their skills, to help them identify their skills and attributes and who they want to be. Because I personally believe that who you are defines the kind of engineer that you would want to be and would turn out to be and evolve to be because your experience and your education and your environment creates the engineer that you are. And it would define how and where and what you would want to uh, do in this world. So how can you be the difference in the world by being an engineer? It's very much dependent on who you are as a person as well, not just what you learn technically. So I try and work with young people on many different levels uh, to help them understand themselves better so that they can be engineers of value to society. This conversation was um, kind of attitude changing um, for the better. So thank you so much for your time and um, keep up the amazing work.
Thank you very much, Shinny, and my pleasure. It was it was a delight catching up, not just 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 for the work of professionally, but just just knowing you and just connecting. So I feel um, it's like I've seen something very similar to me, and it's, it's wonderful to have that feeling of belonging. I think of of sisterhood and so on. So. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing, um, and I wish you all the very best with your book and with all the other initiatives. Thanks for listening, and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution, and inclusivity on innovation. Let's all strive to be in the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving, and I wish you all a great week.